Please join me now for today's scripture reading from Lamentations 3, 16 to 24 in our Pew Bibles. This is on page 688. It reads, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cover in ashes. My soul is very of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gal. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Morning. Um, strange times, huh? I think uh, a lot of my colleagues have um, canceled church services as well as some, even the elderly Chinese church here, whose average age is, I think, 80. Um, so we, we talked and just for their safety, uh, thought that that would be the wisest decision for them. Um, but we, we are meeting so far. We'll find out what we're going to do uh, for next Sunday. Um, but I do want to take this opportunity to charge our church, encourage our church as to stepping into the circumstances that we're faced now, um, to be mindful of elderly neighbors or friends, to check in with them. Um, to be mindful of those kids who were or are dependent on school lunches for breakfast and for lunch. Um, some of the schools around the area, my kids' school included, are continuing to provide those meals, but then those kids need to pick up the meals from the school. And so it does make for some challenge uh, for some families to get to their school. So if that can be something that you just kind of keep in mind, if um, you know of any children in that situation, uh, to be able to help, help them out. Uh, our church, we are by three schools here. So La Squalita is one, uh, MetWest High School, Dewey High School are two blocks from us. And so I, I'm going to be reaching out to the principals and administration there to see if that's something that we can uh, help with. And we also have some elderly convalescent homes as also rest homes, which they're saying to stay away from, which we, we will. But if they're needing any errands or things like that, I think uh, they can feel free to call the church for us to step into that role. Um, but just to kind of take charge of the situation, not to live in fear, to be able to kind of say, I, I can step in as a follower of Christ to bless people who are uh, more vulnerable than I am, to bless them at this time. And so if you uh, can be in a time of prayer for that, in a time of, it's a time of almsgiving for us, if you're noticing something that you can give to somebody who's in a deeper need than you are, then uh, that opportunity is there. I do think that we are truly in a time of lament, um, and I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. And so I, I do find that this time is fitting. Um, and as we continuing in, in our lamentation series and preparing our heart for Easter during this Lenten season, I want us to focus on um, our Lenten practices, the practice of fasting, abstaining, of almsgiving, of praying and, and, and reading. 
And so as we continue on this time uh, to be uh, mindful of what God may be doing in our midst as we are his children. Jumping into Lamentations 3 here, you're going to notice uh, some differences between Lamentations 3 and, and chapters 1 and 2. This one is 66 verses, so it's three times the amount of verses. But in actuality, if you were to read it, it takes the same amount of time as it did uh, chapters 1 and 2. So it, it's just kind of like shorter verses. And the author has done this purposefully. The author is changing the acrostic. So it's making it into a triple acrostic so that the first two chapters we looked at were 22 verses. You'll notice this is 66, so you times 22 by 66. And that the first two chapters were using the Hebrew alphabet, which has 22 letters. And same thing is similarly happening here in chapter 3, except that the author is using each letter to correspond with the three respective verses. So for example, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is for the first three verses. Second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is for verses four, five, and six, and all the way down the line. So that's what the author's doing here in terms of um, uh, like a, a artistic, creative, poetic way of writing. Uh, I'm just going to read verses one through 15 because 16 through 23 or 24 were already read for us. So let me just read those first 15 verses. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. You notice it's God that did all of this. Keep that in mind as I just kind of share an observation. I was driving down Lakeshore and uh, a bus was signaling to turn right. And, and then it didn't. It just kept going straight. And that's not something that I actually expect from AC Transit because they're usually pretty good. When they signal, they're turning. When they're signal coming out, they usually come out. So this one kind of didn't uh, match with what, what usually happens with AC Transit. And, and they're usually really, really good about following their turn signals. But um, other people aren't as good. Uh, I don't know if you've ever driven behind someone on the freeway and they have their blinkers on, and you're just waiting for them to make the turn that they're telling you they're going to do, but they, they never turn. And so that blinking light just keeps going, and then it actually just means nothing. See, when, when that light blinking doesn't match with the conscious intention of the driver, then that blinking signal is then useless. And I've, I've done this myself, right? I'm driving down and, and I tune out that clicking sound. Uh, and I 
and I don't see the flashing light there and I'm just driving and then I don't know how long it is until I notice. I, I don't know how long I've driven. And it's, it might have been for miles and miles and miles. I don't know. I've done that myself. This is how church can be for some people. This is how our prayers, worship, communion, benediction, creeds, giving, doxology can be. That we can just end up with that turn signal on without much conscious intention or thought behind what we're doing. So this is the part of, of what Lamentations does for us in that within this constant barrage of laments, because we've gone through 44 verses of it already in chapters 1 and 2, and here is 66. And we're getting this constant barrage of laments. Sometimes we can just kind of cruise with the blinkers on and not even know because it just keeps on being thrown at us. And I think this is something that the author is doing to interrupt us, to help us to think through and to help us to consciously look at verse 23. In verse 23, things change, right? It says, great is your faithfulness. And if, if we read this chapter with those blinkers on, we're going to miss this. And so this is kind of like a, a jarring thing. And he, he wants us to take note of, note of verse 23 because the grammar changes. Prior to verse 23, you, you read that all these pronouns used are, are he to address God. And then in verse 23, it's changed to your. So it changes from the third person to the second person. And then it becomes a little bit more direct, a little bit more personal, as if the author is turning toward God and confessing directly to God, great is your faithfulness. Because prior to that, it's like he did this, he did this, he does this, he does this, and then great is your faithfulness, even though I, I, I recognize all these other things that you've done. And so this is the author's, who many biblical scholars believe to be the prophet Jeremiah, this is the author's confession of faith. And this is the same guy who wrote verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction. Verses 1 through 18 wasn't just the suffering of the masses, but this was a very personal suffering according to verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction. And so there are individuals within the masses who are enduring this suffering, devastation, this destruction of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah here is sharing with us what happened to the masses, but he's also sharing with us what happened to him personally. And, and through it all, he shares this confession, great is your faithfulness. Now in order to get the gravity of this confession... We need to look back to the context of this confession. So we, we read from verses 1 through 18 this devastation of Jerusalem, the, the destruction of Judah in 587 BC. It is utterly destroyed. And if you want a historical context of this, you can read 2 Kings chapter 25 for that. But in Lamentations chapter 3 verses 1 through 18, it gives us a good idea of this context. And you look back to verse 1 again and it reads this. I am the man who has seen affliction under the wrath of his wrath. Verses 8 through 9. Though I call and I cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. So in other words, I can't get through to God. 
I'm trying all this stuff to get through to him. I can't get through to him. Verses 10 through 12. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. So he feels like he's prey, that he's, he's being used as target practice by God. And then the last verse to look at in this section gives us more context. Verse 17. I've forgotten what happiness is. Can you sense how bad it is for someone to confess that? I, I don't even know what happiness is anymore. And so this is the context of what it was like July of 587 BC for Jeremiah and his people. And, and so we need to keep this tragic context in mind before we get to verse 23 where he says, great is your faithfulness. And we can't bypass that context because you can't just leave that turn signal on and then not think. Otherwise, we detach from that conscious intention and then it becomes meaningless. The confession of faith of saying, great is your faithfulness is meaningless. Because here was a people that they were defeated, beaten, pain-ridden, suffering, in desolation because King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed that country. And Jeremiah is a witness to the aftermath. He is smelling the smoke of burning bodies and burning buildings. He is looking at all the streets that have been deserted, that used to have activity and life, and now they're bare. He's hearing the cries of suffering as people are losing their babies and their children. And as he walks through the streets of what used to be a vibrant city, with a lot of spiritual activity inside the temple, there now lies lifeless bodies, corpses of priests on the temple floor. And even if he wanted to worship, he could not any longer. And it's after witnessing all this tragedy all around him, then that's when he confesses, great is your faithfulness. And so you see how the context helps us appreciate so much more the hope that the author has in God when he faced great tragedy. That tragedy illumines our faith. It has us figure out if our faith is real. Do we really believe God is in control? That he is sovereign? And for a more contemporary time, like now. We don't know what the months ahead look like for us. And so it doesn't mean that we as Christians, we just start giving cute one-liners to people. You know, God's faithful, great is his faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, great is his faithfulness. We don't just start throwing those cute little phrases out. But you know where our assurance of faith comes from is knowing that God has come through for his people before, like in Lamentations 3, like in the Babylonian captivity, like the Babylonian exile, that the context of the difficult times that Jeremiah went through is what gives us hope. It's, it's what gave the writer of Lamentations hope to write this. Verse 21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So how did this change for Jeremiah happened because you look a few verses before that in verse 18, and he wrote that he didn't have hope, right? My endurance has perished. 
So has my hope from the Lord. So what changed from perished hope in verse 18 to having hope in verse 21? It's in verse 19. And verse 19 reads this. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. In essence, this is a prayer. This is a prayer of remembrance for God to remember. And the writer is asking God to remember, remember these afflictions that are happening. Remember my wanderings because I'm now homeless. They destroyed my city. They destroyed my home. They destroyed everything I had. I'm I'm homeless. So Lord, remember my suffering. Remember my homelessness. And it's a simple but a very, very profound prayer of look, O Lord, and see that we see that we read from chapters one and two. And then remembering. God, remember this stuff. Remember this. All of the horrible suffering that we find in verses 1 through 18 being, being torn to bits. Him saying, like, God, you're like a bear. You're like a lion. And now I'm taunted by my enemies. They're just, we're a laughing stock. And I, I forget what happiness is anymore to the point where he has lost hope in verse 18. And then what changes it all is a prayer. Not a complicated one. Not a, not, nothing like that at all. Not a sophisticated one. It's a simple prayer of God, remember Remember, look at this stuff. And then it clicks for him that the God who sees and that the God who remembers is the same God of mercy. And then the writer remembers. But this I call to mind. He himself remembers that he does have a reason to hope because he knows who God is. And there's this big realization between verses 18 and 19 from losing hope in verse 18 to this simple prayer of remembrance in verse 19 for God to remember that completely transforms him from this hopelessness in 18 to a hopefulness in 21. Jeremiah knew that they deserved judgment. He knew Leviticus. He knew like, you know, if we break the covenant with the Lord, this is going to happen. So he knew this. He also knew towards the end of Leviticus, uh, I think it's verse 44 in chapter 26, he knew how gracious God is. The God who brought justice is the same God who is merciful to those who deserve this just judgment. Now, do we know this about God? Do we have this conviction? Or do we just view God as just a friendly, good Merciful, gracious, all these wonderful, wonderful words, but we leave out the words of just judgment. So he cries out to God to remember. He prayed for God to remember. And then from this prayer, God did remember. And and then he remembered, he recalled, right? But this I call to mind. So what is being called to mind? Verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so that conviction, that conviction that we have toward verses 22 and 23 is why hope is still there. See, there are times our faith is tested when there is uncertainty, crisis, sickness, death. And it's times like this that we realize what a supernatural gift faith is. It's a supernatural gift. When we're in the midst of 
darkness, will we be able to look to God and proclaim, great is your faithfulness. And you won't know that until you go through some really dark, bad stuff. To then figure out that God is indeed still with us. Now we're living in a time when we can actually live out this confession and I'm not saying at all that we're like what Jeremiah experienced where people are dragged by their noses on fish hooks 900 miles across the desert to a new place to be slaves, captives, exiles. That's not where we're at, but maybe we can relate a little bit in terms of being able to confess, great is your faithfulness even though we're going through all of this stuff. Lord, look and see. Lord, remember. And it's evident that the writer has hope even in his very, very defeated state of life. That he can still confess, great is your faithfulness. Are we going to be able to do that? Are we going to be able to confess despite what we're going through or what we're going to go through in the next several months? Great is your faithfulness. And in verse 22 it reads, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's why we're still here. Have you ever thought about this? That we're still here because of what God has not done. Ever think about that? See, people often think like, oh, you know, the things that God has done and if God was real, then he'd bring a cure. If God was real, then these bad things wouldn't happen. Then we start blaming God for the things that aren't so good. But have you ever thought about what God hasn't done and that he's fully justified in doing? How much justice has God held back? And how would that justice absolutely destroy us? And so we read, his steadfast love is why you and I are still even here. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is the word chesed. And it's actually in the plural form in in this verse, which can be interpreted as the acts plural, of steadfast love or the abundance of God's steadfast love. And and why is this? Why does the steadfast love of the Lord never cease? And it's because of this, because his mercies never come to an end. That even in a time of just judgment, his mercies don't come to an end. Okay, stick with me here. God has just disciplined his people with a just judgment, but he's merciful. And his mercies are new every morning. Right? Verse 23. Think about this. What kind of mornings were these people experiencing? And this is really important to keep in mind because I think oftentimes when Christians read this, and they're like, his mercies are new every morning. And they read it with a very happy face and very optimistic and like, yeah, I can't wait till I wake up and the day is new. But you have to really put the context of these people in mind because it's 587 BC and the next morning they wake up is not happy because they can be on mile 450 of a 900 mile trek through the desert to be exiled and captives to Babylon and they're only halfway there. And it takes months to travel through that desert where they are 
water deprived, sleep deprived, food deprived, people are dying along the way. That's the context of new every morning. And so even in this kind of morning, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Even when you wake up and the things are still as bad or even worse than they were the night before. And so that's how it was for the people in Jeremiah's day. And this is how it is going to probably be for us for a little while. I'm not trying to equate to the destruction and the terribleness of back then. I don't think we're even close I'm just saying like moving forward in this pandemic, you might wake up and the news is going to be even more grim. You're going to lose more money in the stock market. Your property is not going to be worth as much. You're wondering about your job and layoffs and what's going to happen to your family and what's going to happen because of people not being able to go to school, not be able to go to work, whatever it may be. And maybe some of you have already been living through this for a while, that you didn't need this pandemic to realize that I wake up in the morning and life sucks. Because you lost a loved one. And that spouse you lost, or that child you lost, or that parent that you lost, and it's been with you for quite a while and it's not going away. And when you wake up in the morning, it's the same thing. And the pain is still so real and the suffering is still so real and you just can't understand why things happen the way that they do. And all of us are going through this right now, this pandemic, where we wake up tomorrow and school is still canceled for our kids. We're still telecommuting to work. We still aren't taking public transportation. We're still not going to public places. We're still sitting six feet apart at a church and socially distancing ourselves and all this stuff. We wake up tomorrow and it's not going to be better. But his mercies are new every morning. We turn back to the Gospel of Exodus. We look at chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, and we realize it says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We're going to wake up to another dark morning, but we do have to remember who God is. God is merciful. God is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We're going to ask him, Lord, look and see. Lord, remember all of this. And I hope that it's going to help us to recall. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Do we have that belief? Do we have this conviction about God even in the midst of everything going on? Even in the midst of our sins? Because Jeremiah recognizes that these are the sins that cause this sort of judgment and I'm not saying that this is a judgment. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know. But there are sins that we have committed that deserve a just 
judgment, and He has mercy to not just wipe us out. And when we face these harsh times, do we have the conviction about God to say, great is your faithfulness even though we go through these things? Now, how do we even know if we do, if we have this conviction? Well, do you find yourself praying? Do you pray? Verse 18, when, when he said this, endurance has perished and so has hope from the Lord. Do you pray when you're at the end of your rope? What do you do? Do you do verse 19 and just simply pray to God, God, remember? What does your faithful instinct do? How does it kick in when all your chips are down? And if you find that you pray, you're in a good place. And then you realize that God has not let you go. That his steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That the next day you wake up doesn't mean that everything is good and all your problems are gone. But you do recognize great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Now, this doesn't stop at just simply recognizing that the faithfulness of God is great, right? It, it continues because even though a faithful believer of God recognizes the great faithfulness of God, our faith keeps going. And so that next morning when we wake up and everything is not good, it's actually maybe even worse, we have to continue living lives of faithfulness. And our confession of faith will continue to be tested. That confession of faith of Great is your faithfulness. Keeps getting tested. Because think about this. You're on mile 450 being dragged through the desert by your nose on a fish hook. You have a lot more time. And if you're just looking from a historical context, it was another 50 to 70 years until those exiles, those captives were relieved. See, you and I won't necessarily be relieved when we just come to the recognition of the faithfulness of God, that he just kind of like, all right, everything's great. You recognize it. Good for you. We all know that doesn't happen, don't we? That's not real life. And so that's what verses 25 and 33 are. We'll read verses 31 through 33 later. Let's just read 25 through 30 right now. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheeks to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. It's a challenge to our confession of faith. When you say, great is your faithfulness, then you and I have to live it out. That's a tough part. Because now that Jeremiah has said this in verse 23, now he has to actually live this out. And it's 50 to 70 years more of captivity. See, we have to wait patiently. Verses 25 through 27. And this attitude of patience and waiting on the Lord. And then we have to submit to God's discipline in obedience. Verses 28 through 30 showing us, you know, faith, it takes time. You can confess this faith. Great is your faithfulness. And then, 
And then after this confession, it actually has to be lived out. We have to patiently wait on God. We have to submit to God's discipline and obedience. We live out what he has laid out before us, verses 28 through 30, whatever that may be. And sometimes it's a really tough thing to wait out. Now, why should we even wait? Why should we even submit to God? And it's why the word for starts out verse 31, because this is the reason why we have to be patient. This is the reason why we have to submit to the Lord. Verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. See, we can wait patiently and we can submit obediently because we know the character of God. It is not God's heart to afflict, to grieve his children. God doesn't find joy in our suffering, in our pain, in in our hurts. We endure the just pain and suffering knowing, you know, God's heart's not in it. That behind the judgment is a heart of compassion from the Lord. It's not from God's heart that he grieves and he afflicts. We endure the just judgment, the just discipline, knowing that God's heart is not completely in it. And it goes deeper than what's happening just on the surface and what we see, doesn't it? It's more than what we can see. Because it's, it's similar to parents who discipline their children. All people can see is a parent disciplining their child. That's all they can see. But they can't see the heartache of a parent in doing that. right? It, it's, it's not going to be a perfect analogy because we don't have the perfect heart of God and we don't have the character of God as, as parents. But when we as parents lovingly discipline our children and it causes them hurt, it causes them grief, It causes them pain. Whatever it is causing them, suffering, whatever negative thing it is causing them, we as loving parents, we're not happy about it. Man, I'm glad he's crying. Cry, sucker, cry. That's not like how we are. Or like your daughter, like, yeah, I'm taking that meal away from you. I hope you starve to death. Like, that's not what we're, that's not what a loving parent does. You discipline your kid, you see them crying, and you're like, your heart breaks. I wish I didn't have to do that to them. I wish I, wish I didn't have to take that away. I, didn't, I wish I didn't have to ground them. I wish they didn't have to miss that event with their friends because they didn't do what they, they said they were going to do. Or, I, I feel bad. I wish I didn't have to do that. Or when, when your child, they say they need surgery or they need some medical care and you know it's going to hurt because needles don't feel good and sutures don't feel good and all this other stuff doesn't feel good and the rehab that it takes to go through that if they broke a leg or broke an arm or something but you know it's what's best for them so you let them do it because you don't want them to walk around with a crooked nose the rest of their life if they have a broken nose so you do those things those painful things and it and it hurts you you don't find joy in it God does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He doesn't find joy in our pain. He doesn't find joy in our suffering. And if you view God that way, it's wrong. Look at verse 33. 
we don't know when or how deliverance will come to our circumstances. They didn't know back then in Lamentations 3, 587 BC. But they knew the heart of God. They knew the character of God just as we do. And it's not in the heart of God to grieve or afflict the children of men. He does it, but his heart's not in it. It's a few weeks before Easter, and we have a really, really great reason to confess great is your faithfulness. And the reason is because another suffered the judgment of God for us. And in that moment, you're going to recall that Jesus didn't call God Father. We find him quoting Psalm 22 and saying, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? See, there was something deeper happening with Jesus and God than what have just appeared on the surface and that God was just simply dying on the cross. There's something deeper that was happening that in Jesus' forsaken state, that Jesus' confession was still, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That even in Jesus' forsakenness, Jesus is essentially still saying, great is your faithfulness. Even though I'm forsaken, but I rest on knowing you're faithful. So during this time of Lent, while we practice fasting, almsgiving, scripture reading, prayer, and we're preparing our hearts for Easter, um, the discipline I encourage you guys to focus on this week is actually prayer. Now we're out of time to look at chapter 3 in detail, but the rest of chapter 3 is actually a prayer. Verses 40 through 66 is the longest prayer in Lamentations. Verses 42 through 54 is a prayer of anguish. And then the turning point, you, you don't get to that turning point until verses 55 through 57. And then it ends with this assurance in verses 58 through 66. But of course, you all already knew this because you've been reading it every day, right? So you don't need me to do it. So it's fine, right? So it's good. We can just move on. But let's focus a good amount of time on prayer this week. And it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated, complicated. All it is is based off of Lamentations chapter 1 and 2. Look, O Lord, and see. God, look at this. And according to chapter 3, remember my afflictions and my wanderings. God, look at this stuff and remember this stuff. It's bad. And we're going to continue fasting. Please continue the almsgiving, especially during this time when people are being laid off, their hours are being cut, contractors are losing jobs. And reading. With that special emphasis on prayer, look, O Lord, and see, and remember my affliction and my wanderings. Now we know the purpose of Lent is to purpose and prepare our hearts for Easter and the purpose of that specific prayer of remembering my affliction and my wanderings is so that we can solidify this conviction when we confess great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for you to look, O Lord, and see what is happening in our world. 
what is happening in households that are disrupted by this pandemic that has been declared a pandemic by WHO. We ask you, Lord, to remember, remember my affliction and my wanderings. In Jesus' name, amen.